Welcome, episode two, we're back. Good to be here, Condo. Woody, how are you, mate? Really good, really looking forward to getting 152 downloads this week on our uh, second episode. <laughs> oh, I reckon 149 were... North Coast is run. buzzing. Condo, we've blown up in Dubbo too. Dubbo? Dubbo! <laughs> yeah, mate, central, <laughs> central New South Wales, we are on fire. So Lennox and Dubbo. Yeah. Yeah, couple of we're killing it. Couple of coastal towns side by side. But how about it? It's only been about four or five days since our first podcast. There's nothing on the field, but Jesus has been a hell of a lot going on off the field. People Condo. getting thrown out the windows, like literally <laughs> uh, daily. Mate, what's going on around the grounds? Well, I suppose we're going to start with the uh, with the NRL. Um, obviously, plenty going on there. Belandi's not happy with the performance of um, his CEO. I think uh, all the rhetoric is uh, Sunday, Monday. A lot of complaints about the last bit of funding where clubs were shortchanged and I think that was it Volandi so obviously he called the uh, called the tune before today's uh, commissioners meeting and um, and Todd's exit uh, stage left so they're currently looking for a new CEO um, I think it was up on seek this afternoon so Woody and I are working on his resume I think he's a chance okay what would you do just just two lines on what you would do if you well I was going to ask you a question leading into that you know how they're saying you know one one point six billion dollar uh, TV rights for was it six or eight years? 1.8. 1.8 bill. For yeah. how many years was it? Six. Six. So they're saying they've spent all the money and it's been mismanagement with money. I don't understand some a national competition with all these people that work for them that they can't use the money to what like, what are they burning it on? Like are they giving well, too I, much to the clubs? Are they spent are they spending it on well obviously they're not all just going to Vegas and partying or they're not, you know, they're not well, going it's a hard one, like conduct. Todd Greenberg's obviously been the one who's been thrown out the back door. What, what's your take on that? Is he responsible for where the game is currently or has coronavirus got a lot to uh, Oh, look, I, 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 I think if Todd's going to be thrown, half the commission's got to go with him. I mean, the CEO effectively is working for the commission. I think this is where, you know, maybe out of the virus we're going to see um, Australian sport and we'll go through AFL and cricket and whatever. Probably it's, going, it's, it's definitely going to attempt to mature into you know, whatever the hybrid is going forward. If you go to the NFL, the NFL is probably the best test case. Now, they've obviously been around a lot longer. It's private ownership. There's 32 teams, okay? Now, the 32 teams vote in the commissioner. The commissioner works for the owners of the 32 teams. You can't tell me that in Todd's position or, you know, previous CEOs, they're not working for the 16 teams in the NRL. Yeah, that, I think that's the best point because you think that all, there seems to be an always in the media. Us against them. It's always yeah. back and forth between what the NRL are doing for the clubs and, you know, it should be like this, it could be like this. Do you feel like uh, or you hope that someone was really good, that had a really good background either in footy who played for Australia, a few different clubs, Look, their state? Do you think someone like that? I guess it, you need a pretty, pretty smart person to run such a big organisation, but... They need a feel for the clubs and, and the grassroots, you know, like, okay, we need to put it here, here and here instead of there or... Oh, look, I think that I, I think rugby unions in the same sort of situation, and and to, and you know the NRL's only one TV deal away from it. And if you're going to have a top-down view on the game, opposed it to just bottom blows. Up, it's like it, the it, sur- I feel like know. that's surfing. It's they're trying to get the the CT right, the or the championship tour right before they work on the QS, which is the qualifying, and the juniors around the world. It's exactly the same. I actually don't think you need to talk about the NRL any more than basically this snippet. Ninety-seven Super League blows a game up. They had 35 full-time staff, Quail Arfison running the game. They had an $8 million TV deal from Channel 9. They had $20 mil in the bank, okay? 2019, they have 400 staff at head office. They have a $1.8 billion deal, and they'd be lucky to scrape up $50 mil in the bank. 
Yeah. End of story. I just don't understand why they can't. You'd think they'd have smart people investing it into smart places so that it just continues to make the money. Like, is there a lot of that stuff in there? Like, do they get a lot of real estate? Here's the biggest thing that the NFL does over, say, the NRL. They they invest in assets. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Own your stadium. Yeah. So, for example, let's talk. I was listening to that Freakonomics podcast the other day with um, we're talking about 49ers. San Francisco 49ers. And we, you both have listened to it. The biggest thing that they do is they own their stadium. So, hence, yeah. they've only got eight home games a year. Yeah. But every other night, there's a monster truck event. Yeah. Taylor Swift plays. Yeah, then yeah. they're into another rock concert, yeah. into something else. Yeah. So, they've constantly got revenue coming in. It's not just a a sole sport that they're relying on. So well, they realistically, I don't know how you go about doing that, whether it's private ownership condo, and we've spoken about that plenty of times. I think it's something that's got to be explored because what you're seeing in Australian sport at the moment doesn't work. I mean, the only NRL club that has something similar to what you're just describing with the 49ers is the Roosters. South yeah. to a degree as well, don't they? No, no, I mean as in the fact that they've yeah. actually built up assets. I mean, Oh, okay, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have a look at their um, at their annual report, but apparently they've got between 60 and 100 million um, ownership of real estate in yeah. the suburb. The other thing as well is, and this has been a big topic over the last five or six years with the stadiums, there's also there's a lot of suburban grounds that hold 20,000, maybe 25,000. They're pretty old. But if you put them back to there where, you know, they probably only average most games in Sydney, only average about 15,000. If they're at some of those stadiums where maybe the clubs could work towards owning them privately, it'd bring maybe a better atmosphere to each game. And then if there's really big head-to-head, you know, South vs Roosters or whatever, they could go to Homebush or they could go. Because right now it seems like there's only a couple of stadiums where they play. Like It's only the new West Bank and... Homebush. SCG yeah, maybe a Homebush little bit. Well, I think under under Volandi's leadership, I mean, he's ruled it out today that he wouldn't take on an executive chairman role, which is probably really disappointing for the game because he's shown remarkable leadership during uh, this crisis, which is... Why do you think he wouldn't? What, like, he just said, is it an easier job than what, what he's doing now or, well, I, or a harder I, job? I'm only reading what, what he was quoted as saying, so I haven't actually heard him speak, but he just said, look, that wasn't the role that I took on and I've stepped up because this virus came out of left field. And that's what a chairman does. He enjoys his, his role at Racing New South Wales. So, you know, I, I think he, he sees it, you know, that that's his role. So I'm sure he'll find a good CEO, but let's hope because the game really needs one. But if, if we move on to NF, onto the AFL, I don't think there's any doubt that the AFL are watching on to see what, you know, see if the NRL get the game off, ready to go, rock and roll, uh, May 28, which means the Warriors are going to be here May the 3rd. Now, they are landing in Lennox Head. How bloody good. Woody? Woody, yeah. Lucky they didn't build, build the ski jump because... Because there would have been nowhere to bloody train. They would have had to jump, yeah. they would have to do field goal practice over that thing. The ski jump. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I hope they can get. I hope they get up here. I hope it all works out where they don't have to be in a hotel. They can, you know, train well, and, and it gets every club involved, and we actually have some sort of a proper season because. Well, it sounds like they're going to be based at Sport and Rec to do their their isolation. But the thing that I find pretty funny is like they've gone back and forth quite a lot every code about how much percentage they'll take as a cut, and then. Everyone at those actual leagues, AFL, NRL, are trying their hardest to get some sort of game, some sort of season going where they can make probably just about all the money that they're supposed to get paid. And they might have to live away from their family for, let's say, four months, maybe five. And they're sort of umming and ahhing whether they want to do it. I don't understand. There's people either work in the military where they have to go to war for six months. They get paid 45, maybe 50 grand. They're going to put their life on the line and they're going for maybe a year away from their family. It's a great point you make, mate, because I suppose when you're in the bubble 
um, of professional sport, you get pandered to, you get yeah. treated like a, you know, a, a king in many ways and you live in a bubble and you just think, why should I have to do this? Why should I have to actually do some work for something? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you do. And fortunately I've got my wife to knock me back into gear when I get a bit of uh, high on my horse. But, um, mate, seriously, that you're exactly right. Like people want to whinge about three or four months away. Like I've done three or four months away in Japan on my own. The military do nine months and I can tell you, Lake Ainsworth is not downtown Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I mean, let's be clear here. The only opposition is coming from Queensland teams. Yeah. I just think... Like, Darius Boyd wants to stay at home. He's going to retire. Yeah, but Darius Boyd is in a different... Uh, obviously, they've gone at Darius because that's a press bite. Oh, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. sure a younger player is going, I want to get paid it's, and I want to play yeah. and I don't care where it is. So it's take every, me to Sydney. 100% yeah. individual decision. But I think I would think if you're a Queensland team, you want to get out of Queensland because your Premier doesn't want to have State yeah. of Origin there. Yeah. Like, every game's going to be played at Parramatta Stadium. I just I just don't understand. Like, I don't I don't mean to use the military as like a... Or the army as the worst one, but there's like, you know, a lot of people flying in, flying out yeah. work. There's... You know, there's all sorts of crew doing. Well, how many, Woody? How many no- locals do you know around this area? Are FIFOs? Yeah, like a lo- pretty much all my really close mates do it. Um, oh, there'd be heaps out of our second uh, largest listening area, Dubbo, <laughs> wouldn't there? Yeah, <laughs> it'd have to be. <laughs> but I, I just yeah. don't understand four months, and they could make upwards of seven, eight hundred grand what they're paid by their club, and they're kind of like, no, nah, I'd rather just stay at home, do nothing. I don't know. I feel like. You, I don't know. It's just a head scratcher for me. I can't quite work it out. Your points are valid, mate. So we get off domestic sport and we move on to, I think, probably the best watching. Well, there's nothing going on on bloody the field. And we've all watched everything on Netflix. And then what pops up last night on Netflix, and it was on lots of other platforms, but Woody, what was it? Uh, It was The Last Dance, uh, Netflix doco on the Chicago Bulls last season. Yeah, I think it was the 97-98 season as they were defending their... They're going for their third title. Well, they're six. They're fit. They've won oh, sorry, five. Sorry, the third six. title in a row, but yeah, yeah. they're six. So um, what, how many how many episodes are we going to be able to I think watch? there's 10 all up. And so what was it was supposed to be released in July, just after the season. They were supposed to release it after that, but because the season stopped and there's no games, and I think it's you know a lot stricter over in the US. There's so many people were writing into Netflix to fast track it. Oh, right. So they finished the edit three months ahead of schedule, and they they're doing two episodes uh, every Sunday night. It'll be our Monday. What do you over the first two episodes? You've obviously watched them, Condo. I think you've watched them three times. I have. You yep. love it. What yep. boys? What have, what's been the um, one thing you've been shocked by in the first two episodes? Oh, for me, it's the salary cap. Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen on two point <laughs> seven. I mean. Our own Luke Longley was getting paid more than Scotty. You're kidding. Luke was getting 3.1. MJ, of course, was getting the most, 33. And Scotty was getting 2.7. Is Scotty Pittman the greatest wingman? We're talking uh, Top Gun, obviously, but the greatest wingman ever to play sport. If you go off metrics, he was like, when he was playing with MJ, he was, I think he was top four, even off metrics as in in the league. So he could have played for any other team and been the top player. Obviously, he was playing with the greatest ever, but without... MJ uh, without Scotty, MJ probably doesn't get. I reckon he probably get three of those six, maybe without Scotty. And depending on who they trade for and who who else he had, he had a great team. But the way he defended, how he played, he's big guy. His reach was yeah. his reach was big. He was a great defender. They were both really good defenders, and they liked to defend. They that's something. A, that's something that's not common in the NBA, is it? Like you've got obviously your James Harden's of the world currently, and co- you're great. You know, yeah. James hates uh, hates the D end of the court, but to have guys who want to defend, they seem like they were pretty unselfish in how they went about. I think in yeah. the 90s, like, I guess they came through, like, I think Jordan was drafted in 84 and I think Pippen was 89, but they, or 88 maybe. Anyway, he, uh, 
as it led into the 90s, they were all about picking the best teams and how you defend them. And so each time they'd see them in the, in the regular season, it was a lot more, you know, they really wanted to one-up. Was it what, physical? Oh, it was a lot more physical, of course, but it was just the way they, I guess that was a big part of their game. You, you didn't want to be one-sided player. Like now it doesn't seem as like a bigger deal between the players, whereas back then I think it was, you know, you had to play both ways for sure. And I think too, out of um, that first episode, you got to see a little more of Jordan. That's the thing. Yeah, you haven't yeah. really heard him speak much. And like even the stories that are coming out for the next episode, episode number three, it's like where Pippen was injured, the first part of that 97, 98 season. And Dennis Rodman had gone into the second sort of fiddle and he'd been playing amazing. And he's like, I need it. I need, like Pippen was coming back. He's like, I need a break. I need a holiday. And he's called Michael. And, you know, Michael's like, oof. In the middle of the fucking season, you're not having a holiday. You're not going anywhere. If anyone needs a holiday, I need a holiday. And he's like, you know, Phil Jackson's talking to MJ about it. And he's like, well, can you have 48 hours? He's like, what can you do in 48 hours? And Robin's like, I can do a lot in 48 hours. Give it to me. <laughs> Gets on a private jet, goes to Vegas for 48 hours. Just hasn't slept for two days, comes back, gets 20 rebounds. That's his they went, Yeah, that was like he needed to let out some steam. He was, you know, feeling the pressure of, I guess, going for the three-peat and, and being second fiddle. Well, mate, I don't want to obviously put Wisey in Dennis Rodman's thing, but I've seen that many times Wisey coach bare feet in board shorts at a professional team. The first time I saw our next guest, obviously, Scotty Wisemantle, I was part of his team, was the Waratahs. And I remember our team bus going past the Sydney Football Stadium and the bloke is riding his skateboard in along boardies. With, in boardies, in thongs, with his suit, holding his suit beside on the way to the game. That gives you a bit of an indication of what this, we got coming uh, up. This, this could, could be, be very interesting. I can't wait. Wisey, welcome. Thank you very much, lads. I'm like a dog with two dicks. Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, that's a good point to start with, Wisey. So let's just start. It's a good news story today. The, uh, the ARU have announced that there's players have actually agreed to uh, 120% pay cut. So that's pretty good. So the game's still in good order. Yeah, look, it's, it's good because it, it's in line with most of the other codes. 60%? So, yeah, 60% uh, pay cut. So it's a good result for Rugby Union, so we can all move on and hopefully get playing and training soon. So if we have a 30-second wrap on where the game's going to go this year, and that's all we want to talk about rugby, and then we'll get into Scott Lloyd Wisemantle's great stories from around the globe, where do you think it's going to be? The pipe dream from an international point of view would be to be playing in August, but the realistic point of view would be September, October, and then there'll be a three-month window. So... As soon as the international season kicks off, we'll try and play the uh, the rugby championship, but then also with international travel, try to get to Europe, play as many games as possible, and there's a possibility of midweek games, which is fantastic. And so are we looking at sort of a domestic comp or like sort of some sort of reduction of Super 15? or? Yeah, they are. There's a couple of models there, and once again, it's on travel. So the domestic model is is very viable, and then... You'd be looking at the end of May, early June, hopefully, for that. So if they're aggressive um, and they follow the rugby league model, that would be the end of May. and then. Um, but realistically, probably June, hopefully. So, Barnsley, Wisey is our first guest that actually has a Wikipedia page. So last week... <laughs> we've hit the big time. We have. We've hit the big time. Last week we had James Taipan Wood, and if you type that in, we came up with nothing. There's nothing on Condo. You do actually come up. Yeah. Um, but you're not a guest tonight. So Scott's got quite an extensive Wikipedia page. It's quite interesting. I think we, we know most of it. But if he takes us back to probably your first decent gig, Waratahs. Yep. yep. Who, who was your first big signing at the Waratahs? So the first time round it was um, 
was uh, with Bob Dwyer. Okay, so I was a skills coach. So that wasn't that doesn't really count. You're doing your apprenticeship. So the second time round, um, the first big big signing was probably Drew Mitchell. Uh, we needed a left footer, and Drew um, Drew you know ticked the box there. But the other thing about Drew that was really impressive was the fact that when he came to the meeting, he never spoke about money. All he said was, "What position do you want me to play? What style of footy are we going to play? How are we going to do it?" And then he said, yep, okay. We answered those questions. He said, yeah, I like, I like the way that things are progressing. And he said, okay, we'll leave it for someone else to, um, to fill out the details. So was he the Scotty Pippen of the Waratahs? Uh, yeah, I'd, look, I don't know whether he was a Scotty Pippen, but he, he's definitely a, a bit of a free soul, um, um, Drew. So I think that he's not financially driven. So he knows what he likes, knows where he wants to go. So he's just signed a contract in New York and he was very upfront with the head coach, just said, look, um, yes, I understand you're paying me. The primary reason I'm doing this is a, as an experience. Um, I want to I want to live in New York and just be assured I will play good rugby, but my primary motivation is to live in New York. Okay, good, the rooster. So um, did, you sign any, uh, did you sign anyone sitting at this table? Yes, we did. We signed Beric Barnes, and I deliberately avoided that condo because I knew it was a leading question. <laughs> well, so, well yes, you, I, we did. I, I think if you go back in time, when you signed Barnsy, yes. you probably should have signed Woody. Yes. I was a galloping winger for the under-12 Lennox Supersonic roller hockey team. I, I'm thinking more your surfing I'd never, <laughs> I never played a game <laughs> oh, of t- yes. footy in my life. Well, played a couple of games of touch footy. Woody, mate, I needed you on my first day at the Waratahs because seriously this lunatic took me surfing at Bronte and it started off at about six foot now I'm basically a learner it was myself and Benny Mullen I could just go sideways this is a boy from Kingaroy yeah boy from Kingaroy plenty of waves out in peanut country why well, as you take us through that day mate we saw so we pulled over the headland and it was bloody mate it was lines to the horizon it was awesome I was pumped but yep. I had no freaking idea and I was on a six foot three webby stump dingo yeah yeah so we we rocked up at Bronte and I think it's called the bogey hole right in the corner there <clears throat> so we jumped in and we were we were lucky enough we we jumped in the rip and yourself and myself we got swept out benny <laughs> moen got absolutely annihilated mate he was paddling out on a nine foot bloody yeah, longboard that's right that's right and he ended up um round at tamarama with the uh tail between his legs so benny was back on the beach we ended up getting out there was a crew out there of probably six and then it thinned out very very quickly and then we look around and it's kb abaddon yep. on a seven foot something gun oh. <laughs> mate i'm pretty sure it was mark matthews there too who else was there it was like it was not like sure a it was a, who, it was a who, who's it was a who's who of big wave surface so i've gone Beric, we we probably need to go in now <laughs> and um the only advice I gave Beric was, look, uh, and I, look, I don't surf there at all, but um, I just heard from other people that there's two ways in. One is you try and get in at Bronte, so catch a wave, turn left, and just keep heading towards the beach. The other one is if you catch a wave, the rip goes north towards Bondi, and don't try and come back towards Bronte. That's because there's a headland in between. Just go to Tamarama, the next beach. I didn't hear any of that. When did you tell me that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said, listen, just do your best, get in on the beach, and if you miss, if you miss Bronte, just keep going. Was, he, was this prior to Barnes's concussions or after? This was prior. This oh, was prior okay. to the concussions. I thought maybe it was. Oh, no, well, Philly Philly had already done some early damage. But, but, mate, I remember being out there and seriously looking around going, I've got to try and get in here, and I didn't catch a wave the whole thing. I was out there paddling for my life for seriously an hour, and um, 
Well, yeah, we- on Sixth Street, mate. I seriously I went over the falls. I got tossed down. I don't know how far <laughs> deep I was. I came up sucking oxygen halfway to bloody Fiji. And all I saw, I knew that Tamara was there, but I wasn't even thinking straight. Like, I only had to go around like 100 metres sideways and I would have come in at Tamara and been fine. But I was too tired. And I remember just like giving up and just going... I've got to get in on the rocks here somehow. And I've come straight in on the steepest damn cliff. You and came I just, in on the rocks? I came in just on the cliff, essentially. And I, I've, it's washed me up because there was such swell. And I'm holding on. I'm holding. I've slid back down. I'm holding on. My board is touching the ground like my leg rope's hitting and it's touching the sand. I'm doing chin-ups, <laughs> like trying to stay alive out here. <laughs> and I'm in the worst spot, apparently, because... I, I didn't see it, but apparently half of Bondi Rescue are running for these cliffs now to try and save so, me because you'd just made yeah, the corner. Yeah. So, look, I, I had a different viewpoint than, than Beric where he's hanging on the rocks. So my viewpoint was I, I said, listen, mate, are we good? And he goes, yes, and I caught the next wave and hightailed it in. So I ended up at, um, at Bronte on the beach. So I'm standing there with Benny Moen and we're watching and we're trying to work out where Beric was and then we've seen this lifeguard run past and there's language you can't use but he said this bloke is and then there was a couple of words afterwards right so we look around and we go where is he going and we look towards the rocks and you wouldn't exaggerate he'd been swept up at least 10 to 15 feet above the rock platform and he was he was in a prone position so he's lying flat on his guts Holding star- on, traditional <laughs> starfish. Star yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's starfishing on this on this rock up at the top, trying not to get sucked back out, and his board is just hitting every rock on on, on the way down. Anyway, and then the swell has gone back out, and then Beric's just clawed his way back up, and then reeled the board in, and then scarped up the um, up the headland. Mate, I'd bark off me everywhere. <laughs> board had about one fin left in it. <laughs> Just the leggy flag. <laughs> yeah. and I, was, I was lucky to be alive. Yeah, and then... We are training the afternoon. Yeah, we did. We trained in the afternoon and then Beric, he looked to his credit, got through it, and but he couldn't do the kicking session because he had so many cuts on his feet. So um, the kicking coach wasn't real happy and then that got reported to the manager um, who then spoke to the head coach who then went back to the manager and said, you need to have a word with, with Wisey about you know, what's happened. So um, I remember Chris Webb, he came in and he said, listen, mate, um, we've got to have a serious chat. And I was like, okay. And he said, look, you know, you've got to, there's some things you can do and there's some things you can't do and it's, it's way too risky with one of, our, one of our star players. And he gave me the, the lecture and at the end of it he said, have you got anything to say? And I said, yeah, 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 look, I do. Just one thing. It's proven one point. And he goes, what's that? And I said, well, at least we know the young kid's got some balls. <laughs> and He's that committed. It. That was it. He's committed. committed. He's hundred percent in. So 100%. I thought, well done. You know, tip of the hat. So you went from Waratahs after nearly killing one of their prize recruits to pop up coaching Samoa. I would say it's probably one of your better coaching feats. So what happened was um, the Samoan side got together. We we it was a Sunday game, which is very unusual for Samoa because that would never have happened in in Michael Jones's day because for religious yeah, reasons, yeah. they don't play on Sundays. So we had a Sunday 3 o'clock kickoff uh, at Homebush, and the team arrived in on the Saturday. Um, so we, we had a week's prep. And then the first couple of training sessions weren't too bad. We, we then did a defensive session, and it was horrible, absolutely diabolical. We were going to get beaten by 100. So um, 
remember talking to Tom Coventry, who coached at the Chiefs, and, and Ozzie McLean, who worked with the All Blacks um, as a defence coach. So they were also assistants. And, and we, we got together and we said, look, we need to do something about it. So I rang um, Sydney Uni coach Todd Loudon, and all their players had come back for, from Super Rugby. So there was Phil War and um, they had a young Bernard Foley, they had Tommy Kingston, um, uh, Vix was there. So, you know, it was, it was a really you know, good good team. So we said, can we do an opposed run? They said, yeah, yeah, no problems. So we got to Sydney Uni, we did this opposed run and, and the first three plays they did, they scored. Yeah, straight out, boom. Scored and we're thinking, oh my god! So anyway, we had to we had to rectify a few things and and then all of a sudden we started to rectify it and then off the line out, um, our number seven who played rugby league for St Helens, Mori Fasavalu. Can I just ask a question? I know it's a bit of a silly one, but when you say opposed run through, yep, is that like a proper game, like a tackle well, game? Well, okay, so opposed run, so it, it's shoulders on. So okay, okay, but, but you kind of like bump and release. Yeah, well, there's there's oh. there's shoulders on, then there's Samoan shoulders on. <laughs> yeah. So okay, yeah. So so what what happened was there was a line out, and Mori, as the hooker is thrown, has taken off and just as the ball's passed from the halfback, so he's left early and he's just wiped Bernard Foley out. So then next thing you know, there's a scuffle. So Phil Wall goes, "If this keeps happening, we're out of here." And and Maury goes, what, what, you know? Um, and then we had to explain the laws of the game, the rules, yeah. that, that until the ball has left the line out, you can't just take off and belt someone. So <laughs> anyway, we saw, we ironed out a few little rough patches there. Um, and by the end of it, it was an absolutely terrific training session. And the nicest thing was at the end of the session, um, all the players, instead of doing a recovery, they sat in the middle of the field and chatted. So it was... Yeah, it was um, it was really good. Was and then, good. did they dig Bernard Foley out of the ground after <laughs> after the hit, or he just yeah, he oh, just but, on? Bernard b- bounced up, and then he, yeah. he uh, I think they put the uh, yellow bib on him, which meant um, no contact. <laughs> yeah. That's so, what I went. <clears throat> so that game, uh, I mean, enormous upset. I, I actually I can yeah. remember having a little bit of a wager on Samoa. I can't remember what the odds were, but um, hundred to one. It had, it had to be it had to be one of the most more memorable coaching feats. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a really that was a special day because um, the game plan was that we wanted to we wanted to disrupt every second breakdown. That was the basic game plan, um, and to be really physical, slow the ball down, and then um, and then yeah, you know, once we slowed the ball down, we slowed the game down. And then from an attack point of view, we had all our big forwards in the middle, 15 to 15, so in between the 15-metre area, so they didn't have to run a lot. And it worked a treat. And I remember, I remember radioing to Tom Coventry with three minutes to go saying, I actually think we're going to win this game. Um, we're leading by, I think, 10 points or something. We couldn't lose. So anyway, we, we finished the game and it was surreal. It was a crazy, crazy moment where you go, far out, Samoa has just beaten... Straight, and we end up back in the change rooms, and um, the manager, uh, he's got all the boys sitting on the floor, not on the seats, sitting on the floor in a circle, and he gets a mobile phone and he puts it in the middle, and it was the prime minister, and <laughs> the prime minister, and the prime minister, he, he starts to go through every position, so he starts at fullback, he goes, Paul Williams, very safe under the high ball today, you scored a try, ran hard for you and your village. Two pigs. 
grand. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like 10 grand or something no. like that. No. No. So just, what did the winger get? No, they all got – everyone got two picks, right? Except he got to the tight head prop and he, he started to – started to give him technical issues about how his bind, his arm on the bind at the scrum wasn't correct. So, and we're going far out, okay, this guy's not going to use two picks. But at the end, he got his two picks. So what did the coaching staff get? Well, we got two picks. So <laughs> apparently I've got, um, I've got two size two pigs, which are like a, a, a butterball. So they're probably about 20-odd kilos, beautiful young pig. And um, it, my village is the village of Viala. So in Viala, somewhere in Samoa, I have two, two pigs. pigs. Well, I don't think they're alive. There's now. no way yeah. they're alive. <laughs> no, no. no. I'd be saying this, this, this whitey, this guy that's come in as a consultant. There's no way we're going to eat these pigs. No, it was fantastic. It was one of the best. It, it, it reinstilled my love of the game. It really did. That was um, that was one of that. Where yeah, it was a great moment. And the th- the thing is that they got paid. Next to nothing for that week. They got two pigs. Like, well, I was going to say next to nothing plus two pigs. Exactly. Well, just, talk, just quickly, tell me about when you went to the World Cup with Samoa. Now, England, you obviously stay in five-star accommodation. Yep. Where were you staying in South Auckland during the, uh, the 2011 World Cup with Samoa? Yeah, we were, we were, I think it was a motor lodge, I think. So, but I just remember every, every second night we had a porphyry. So a porphyry is where they, um, they hire a, a hall, like a a netball stadium and you know they hold between eight and ten thousand people and the Samoan community comes in and they pay an entry fee and they get a, a, a bistro style sort of feed and then they have a dance so they go okay the village of uh, Viala or the island of Savai um, come up and, and then they all get on the dance floor and they dance with the players and then what happens is as they dance they throw money on the floor and then at the end of the dance, a group of players come in with brooms and they sweep all the money up and they put them in garbage bins. That was that was the way that the players were paid for the World Cup. So that Seriously? Was, it's, that, that, no, it's a dead set serious story. Yeah. So I think we had three or four porphyries in one, one, one week in the week leading into our first game against Namibia, I think it was, from memory. They love the game. They genuinely love the game. They, they love physicality. But the other thing is when you tie into their emotions, whenever they've done something wrong, if you say your family wouldn't be proud um, or your village wouldn't be proud, then you really tap into their emotional state because then they get upset and because they know that you know the lifeline, which is family and village, is rugby because that's where the money comes from. That's where they get paid. So all mm. the, the money from these overseas guys, it, it actually goes back to the villages and the families. That's fantastic. So you move from uh, the 2011 World Cup, um, float around Japan a little bit, um, tee back up with the madman Eddie, who's got the national job in Japan. Yep. A lot of forward planning into that 2015 World Cup with the view of 2019 being in Japan. So yep. you guys really start to step it up. 2015 World Cup, Japan beat South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that, was, that, was, that was another crazy moment. So I actually wasn't there, so... I'd finished, but the planning, the planning that went into it was meticulous. And there was a game that we played at least once a week called Beat the Box. And it was about turning big men around. It was about doing the unconventional. So tackling the tackler with the ball, kicking different types of kicks. So in that game, there was a restart where, where there was a grubber off a restart, different types of lineouts, defending malls. It, it was meticulous. And that was the game. 
Um, so once a week we played that game. So they'd seen that they'd, that actually, by the time the World Cup rolled around, the players had actually seen that game many, many times. Well, I was going to pose a question to the boys later, like your greatest underdog story. I remember sitting on my couch at three in the morning in Japan watching that game and I dead sit nearly hit the ceiling when they won. I've never been, I don't know if I've ever been so proud, so inspired. Obviously, I was playing with about six of the guys who were in that team. What was your emotions? Where were you at the time when they, when they actually got it done at the 80 minutes? I was in Montpellier in France and, oh. and I was with Chris Whitaker. Wow. So the current assistant coach with the Waratahs, uh, we'd had a few beers and we were watching it and we just couldn't believe it. I remember at the end of the game, I remember started crying. I, I started bawling. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop crying. Is it your greatest up, Is it the greatest upset? I it's definitely rugby, rugby-wise it has to I be. I think from a rugby point of view, it's definitely the greatest upset of all time. So greatest sporting upset? I don't know. Yeah. There's a few others to, to, that, yep. that, that sort of match it, I think. So, um, so you, you moved to uh, Montpellier on the, uh, the big dollars down south with a few South Africans, actually, a lot of South Africans yes. on, that, uh, on that roster. South African head coach, Jake White, yep. a pretty influential and financial owner. I, I think you, you might have told me a story or touched on a story when you had a couple of weeks off and you got use of the private jet. Yeah, yeah. So the, um, yeah, the owner just uh, zipped us around there at one stage and we had to go to a camp and, and because we were actually tracking pretty well at that stage, we'd won a few on the trot and he must have been feeling generous. So just pulls out the, uh, the private jet and, and we actually had a game. I think we played Cardiff in Cardiff. And we got the private jet straight straight to Cardiff, you butte, um, where you go. And then we lost and then we never saw the private jet again. <laughs> when you when you touch on that was you've obviously had the obviously been assistant coach, you've had the chance to go to some of the most amazing um, obviously organizations in the world. Have you got one that's a that stands out? Yeah, I, I think I, I mentioned before. I, I, I just like the Melbourne Storm. I like going down there because they're consistent. Their values are consistent. You know what they stand for. So within 10, 15 minutes of of watching a training session, you go, I know what these blokes are about. Because if you'd been in a meeting, you hear them talk it. And often you hear places where they'll talk the talk, but they won't walk the walk. Uh, everything they do is consistent. It's all about winning and the and the Melbourne way. So how's that come about? But with, I mean, Bellamy had to start somewhere. So he, did, I mean, did that come about because of, his six years under Bennett and he'd learnt some really good sort of leadership lessons and then he goes to Melbourne and puts that in place? I mean, because effectively from when Bellamy turned up, that joint just went from strength to strength. Yeah, look, I think it's definitely, there's some Bennett factor in there where you learn lessons along the way and he's probably learned off some of the other assistant coaches. But I think if you go back and you remember him as a player, he was quite dogged and you knew what he stood for every weekend. So I think he lives the way that, that he played. You know, back in the days at Seaford Oval, I think it was. Wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Seaford no, Oval. I mean, he was, in, he was yeah. in some good Canberra sites. Oh, some yeah. very good Canberra sites. Yeah. From what I've heard, he's, he speaks really well too. He's really direct in the way he can talk to his players. It's like straight down the barrel, like pretty serious. Everything goes in, otherwise you're out the door sort of style. Yeah, there's no, there's no mixed words. Yeah. It's straight to the point. And there's some colourful language. Yeah, as well. yeah. Actually, it was Mick Fanning told me that he was. I think he was a speaker when Bellamy was coaching at the New South Wales team, and he was saying he got to sit down and listen to him speak before they ran out, and he just said it was amazing how he's just 
looking everyone in the eyes and super, super pumped, super serious. Even Mick was like, I don't think I could ever play a game of footy, but I was pumped up after listening to Bellamy speak. And the other thing is I think that there's words and you can articulate what people want to hear, but there's the emotion and I think that's what Craig gets. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it was. It was like that. He means it. Like He means it, he lives it. Um, that's what he wants. With that, Wisey, what is uh, one of the buzzwords everyone talks about in cu- sport is culture. Like um, in the shit teams I've been in, we seem to talk about it in every second meeting. And the good ones you're in, you don't even mention it because it, they're just habits and behaviours. I suppose in the good ones you've been in, say Melbourne, etc. what what habits do they exhibit that losing teams don't? I think culture, well, it's an overused word yeah. for me. I think it's just living your values. So if you mm. don't live your values, you've got no culture. Good teams will pick – it's not the coaching staff that end up picking players up. It's, it's players pick each other up and they just say, listen, that's not acceptable here. That's not yeah. the way we do things. Accountability. Without a doubt. It's like that you can see it with Cam Smith, like the way he's accountable for how he plays, what he does, how he trains. If he's doing it, then you'd imagine everyone else in the team's going to or they're going to be – Playing for the Titans, maybe. Or so, so if you took Bellamy and what he's done, and I know if you go through your uh, phone list, you've, you, you can pretty much ring any NRL coach. Like, you know them all. You've spent a lot of time with them. They've spent a lot of time in the setups that you've been. So if you take Bellamy's strengths, if we took him out of Melbourne and we took him to the Titans, could he turn them around? I think so. I think so because we were fortunate enough today, Barnsley and I, to, to listen to a Zoom is it a webinar? What, what do they call yeah, these but I'm still getting, things? I'm still getting up to speed yeah. with all this tech anyway, stuff as well. With Justin Langer, and, and he, he had a good chat to Sir Alex Ferguson, and I'm really mm. dropping some names here. Um, but he, <laughs> the big thing that he said was execute one and set the example for a 1,000. Yeah, it was crap. So, and I think that that's the way that Bellamy rolls and also Trent Robinson. So, you, you know, let's not forget someone like Trent because he's a great coach as well, great coach. And you can see whilst they go about their business differently. Let's they, let they, everyone know that you're a Roosters supporter. I'm a Mad yeah. Chooks fan, yeah. so yes, exactly. So we're going for the three-peat. Okay, so keep talking yeah, about okay. Trent. So, yeah, so I think Trent Robinson, meticulous with his planning, um, as, he, as is Craig in his own way, and, and they get their message across. There's no ambiguity. There's complete clarity. They know what they want. Okay, but if you take, say, Trent is, what, uh, probably halfway into his career opposed to Bellamy, and Politis obviously, you know, is obviously a good judge, but, I mean, prior to that, the Roosters didn't have a problem going through coaches. What was different about Trent Robinson when he turns up first year you know, first first grade coach to have the success that he's had in a short period. We got to remember he worked under Brian Smith when Smithy was there. So he'd seen the joint, he knew the flaws in the joint. So what he did was address some of the problems that they had there and then he created clarity and cleared the decks and knew the players that he wanted to create the game plan that he needed to, needed to execute. So another guy that you've had a fair bit to do with, uh, Maguire? So, obviously, um, you know, brought South a premiership in 14. He's at the Tigers Tigers now. for the premiership in 21, 22, 23 and 24. <laughs> so, that'll be a good little run there. Thanks. Really nice run. Yeah. Like, again, I mean, he's a similar type of coach. You've spent a lot of time with him. Could he do that at the Tigers? Yeah. Look, he, he, but he's got attributes there where you can see that there's common themes between he and Bellamy um, and you've got other players, sorry, other coaches there like Jason Riles who's going to be a really good coach. Um, so there's a lineage there. Adam O'Brien, all come through the storm setup. Um, Stephen Kearney. Yeah, even you know, Parramatta head coach. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, well, he's... Yeah, uh, Arthur's, Brad Arthur. Uh, Brad Arthur. Yeah, yeah, Brad Arthur. So, 
Yeah, there's a real uh, real stockpiling of, of where they've come from. So there's common traits within that. So how they go about their business is very it's, – it's varied. So they've got their own personalities. But the I suppose the organisation of how they do it um, is similar. So if you move to somebody who – well, I'll ask you the question, but I think I know the answer, who's probably had the most influence on your coaching career, Eddie, um, and probably uh, – probably your most intense period and most uh, enjoyable period, the last World Cup. Yep. You team back up with Eddie, you go up to Japan. Uh, England obviously have a really good World Cup, but the standout was that semi-final. We won't talk about the final too much. What is the difference between Eddie and a Mark you know, Maguire and a Trent Robinson and a Bellamy? Oh, look, Eddie's good mates with, with, um, with Bellamy. He talks to Trent Robinson a lot. So they're all similar types of beasts. They want to yeah. win. They're winners. So that's, that's the first thing. The other thing is the lineage. So it's amazing how you see this lineage in, in all these coaches. So who was Eddie, Eddie coached by? It was Bob Dwyer. Who did he play alongside? Ewan McKenzie, Michael Checker. So regardless of what you think of them as coaches, you can see that there's, this, there's, the there's a lineage. And then yeah. prior to that, Bob was coached by Cyril Towers, who, who was you know, the father of the running game. Um, and then Cyril was influenced by AJ Wallace from Scott's Head, who played for both Scotland and the Wallabies and was a physician. Like an amazing story. But you see this lineage right through. So we, t- we touched on earlier in the podcast before, um, before you picked up the phone about you know, the news that's going around the NRL at the moment. Todd Greenberg's out the door. Uh, Woody's been offered the job, but he's knocked it back. <laughs> I've got, uh, a, got a heap of stuff to do here in uh, quarantine. Flat out. You're busy. Well, the Warriors, I'm folding my jumpers. The Warriors engage you when they turn up on yeah. um, May the 3rd. Yeah. Um, who would you give the job to, Wisey? Oh, I actually haven't really thought about it. Mate, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't give an answer there, Kondo. I, I've got no idea who I'd give the, uh, the job to. So, Wisey, with the NRL, they're speaking about this uh, rule, what is it, player 31, where you're allowed one... Um, you can sign someone who's not under the salary cap. Yeah, someone who's not under the salary cap. So, they're throwing out Quade Cooper... Uh, Sonny Bill Williams, Artie Savir from the All Blacks as a number seven as a potential recruit. Throw your uh, rugby league hat on. You're head coach of the Roosters. St. Nick has got plenty of brown paper bags stored under his thing. Who do you go after and why? Um, probably. And look, you can't sign Woody. No, you can't sign Woody. I'm with the Lennox Head Supersonics still, the inline <laughs> hockey team that won the grand final in 1998. <laughs> so I scored two goals in that grand final. Oh, Came back from 1 0 down to win 2 1. That's all time. <laughs> all time. Um, <laughs> We're doing like, a Netflix doc on it, it. Is there any rugby player you'd go out and get for four months to come and help your league team? Because I don't know how – personally, I'm not sure who's going to make a difference in four months who hasn't played the game before. So you're going to have someone who's Are you available, Barnty? Hell no. I can't yeah. even show it. Off the top of my head, I can't actually think, mate. Like, you know, yeah. there's – yeah, I, I'm trying to think of a back rower that you could that you could transplant into a hard running ball ball playing back rower, but I'm coming up. Would you bring Sonny that. back? Sonny, Sonny Bill back to the Roosters? No, 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 no. I think he can stay at the Wolf Pack, mate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What about over your span of coaching doing rugby union? Is there any NRL player that you would have loved to have seen that would you like to have seen play rugby union? Well, Cooper Cronk, because he had a background. He, he, he played Australian schoolboys. Rugby? So, rugby, yeah, yep. Yeah, Laurie's boy. Yep, that's so, right. Yeah, so I would have loved to have seen him, you know. He was play. a really good kicker. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one was Andrew Johns, who was signed. Yeah. Um, so when Eddie was coach in 06, yeah, Eddie, it was yeah. a done deal. It was a done deal. Andrew Johns was going to rugby union. He was going to play and – 
and then it got kiboshed because um, he was deemed medically unfit because of his neck. When they really? did the, when they did the medical on him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rugby so deemed that or rugby league? No, rugby. Oh, they said it wasn't worth taking. Yeah, they said, yeah, he's, he it was too much of a risk. Yeah, and they, they got that wrong. He wasn't a very good player. No. But were they trying to just get him for <laughs> 06 to go into the World Cup in 07? Was that? That was that was the plan. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he, he would have been pretty good as well. I'll come back to you. Um, Manu Tuyalangi. Yeah. Big, big yeah, England right. number 12. Yeah. England Strong, number 12. He'd be yeah. big fella. Yeah. So why is he, if Joey Johns obviously is one of the best um, rugby league players we were talking about to sign across, who is the best rugby union player you reckon you've come across in all your time in the card? George Smith. I thought you were yeah. going to say Sam Burgess. George Come Smith. On, so George Smith would have made it in rugby league. He would have been yeah. outstanding. Yeah. He would have been outstanding. Where would you have played him? Uh, he would have been a ball-playing um, back rower. Mate, how's the engine on George? Like, if people don't know George, you watch him run a beep test and he'll run about an eight or nine. Now, a good time on the beep test is about a 12. And yet he'll go out and play at a 14. Like, the guy plays 80 minutes each week. I don't know if he's ever been injured. And when did he retire? What, 39 years of age? 30, 38? 39, yeah. 39 yeah, for oh, years of age. Mate, a freak. The best. Who's, just, just who's, from, your, who's your top couple? Any, any out of the England World Cup squad? I think Owen Farrell's going to be a great. Really? Because he's such a competitor. Such a competitor. It's just... Just wants to win. How good Lo- is he? Loves winning. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's and da- tough, isn't he? Tough. And his yeah. dad was such a great player too. Like, That's right. Um, getting Lee. to play an opportunity to play against him once, but Owen, yeah, mate, he has got balls of steel when he kicks a goal. You know, he just uh, he's tough. That's right. So, yeah. Wisey, we we move into a segment which I think you'll enjoy. It's called Barnsley's Ball Bag. Right. All right. So last week on Barnsley's Ball Bag, we had. Uh, and we'll get to the Barnsley's ball bag this week. But last week, we're going to give you the opportunity to participate in last week's Barnsley's ball bag, which is we all had to go around the table and we were allowed to pick two sporting people, dead or alive, male or female, that you would invite to, uh, to our big barbecue at the shed here. So I'll just throw up who we selected last week. Apparently the feedback on Instagram and all that social crap was Condo picked Wayne Bennett. Apparently that went down like a lead balloon. Wow. Um, wow. Barnsley uh, – sorry, and I picked Tiger Woods. Barnsley had – Yeah, I've got Ali and Mandela. Yep. I'm pretty sure I picked Michael Jordan and Conor McGregor. Now, saw, just before Wisey goes, we've had some good feedback online. Satsy, Dusto, a few of the local boys have piped up with Mike Tyson and Craig Johnston. Well, I, I seriously reckon we've got a fight club going on well, here. We don't actually have a dinner party. Well, before Wisey goes there, my, my oldest, Zachy, picked Wisey. Great. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's, As one of That's big. Well, uh, his, his two choices were interesting. Wisey and Paul Fisher. Woody knows Fisher well. I know him really well. Yeah. Oh, obviously, oh. he's going back to the Lennox. So, why is he, who, who would you select? Well, I, I, would, I would go Ali, you know, one of the yeah. all times. So I'd definitely go Ali. See, the other one is that I was thinking of, and he, he, he only he surfed as a kid because I'm reading his book. So, I don't know whether it counts, is Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Really? But, mate, the boss, the boss surfed. Mate, we need an entertainer. So, I'm so, to oh, look, so, there's a connection between the boss and Woody. <laughs> so, I want to see if Woody can reach out and, and sing get like, a no, 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 and the boss no, no, can no, surf no. like Woody. Well, Woody can do surf lessons for the boss. Yeah, private. And the, and the boss can serenade Woody. I can just learn how to play guitar and, and sing with a bandana on. Imagine what you'd be able to charge Woody. Can we reach out and get a, like a bit of a chat with, with the boss? I reckon we can. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll send him a hit on, um, on if he has Instagram. Does anyone know? Hopefully he does. We'll see. We'll track him down. We'll get it. We'll get a hold of him. No, we're 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 got we're getting traction here. We'll track yeah. him down. Yeah. We got a hundred downloads. We'll be right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So why is it? So this week's yes. Barnsley's ball bag. Yes. Is 
best underdog story that you've experienced or maybe... Ooh. So we've spoken a couple, so we're going to wipe those off the table. I'm going to go Leicester City. Yeah. In the in the okay, yeah. in the Premier League, that was that was insane. How Captain good, insane. How good was that year? Two thousand and fifteen, sixteen. You have Leicester City win the football. Yep. Chicago Cubs never won a major major league in the baseball. They come up with it. Yeah. And then you have Japan beat South Africa in the uh, yeah. first game of the Rugby World Cup. Yep. It was a year of upsets. Mate, you know what it was? It was the year of happy coronavirus because there was upsets everywhere. It yeah. was insane. Um, and probably the other one, the other the second one I was thinking of was the Miracle on Ice in nineteen eighty. Mm. So USA over the Soviet, yeah, yeah, Soviet yeah, yeah. Union in um, in ice hockey. Yeah, that's it. So there's a segue back to skating. Like, yeah, you know, skating. We're I, back on it. We I mean, I can do a few. I was going to stick locally and uh, stick with myself. I just touched on it earlier. So we had uh, nineteen. I think it was nineteen ninety seven. So we're sponsored by Mitre Ten Ballina. Uh, as a young group from Lennox Head, there's <laughs> five inline skaters from Lennox Head. We, d- we only had one cul-de-sac back in 97. There wasn't as nice new estates as there are now. Uh, we, <laughs> we trained hard. Anyway, we ended up making the grand final of Ballina inline hockey, playing uh, South Ballina, and they were the Cougars. And no joke, they had a big blue Cougar shirt. Anyway, <laughs> we went down 1-0 in the grand final, ended up coming back, scoring two goals. I scored them, got man of the match, and... Still have the trophy at mum's house. So. Were you captain yeah. coach? Nah, Robbie Kirkwood was our captain. His dad, <laughs> old Rivers Kirkwood, was the coach. And yeah, we did our best. <laughs> and, and, and I've got a photo somewhere. I wish I, I'll find that photo. And yeah, well, Woody, for, for, for all the people out there now, it's the person of the match. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's the, it's the guy that skated hard and just picked his spots and got those goals when it mattered. Anyway, that's my underdog story. We were heavily, we'd been smashed by him a couple of times. We got him where it mattered. Oh, mine isn't that good, I tell you what. I've gone uh, Horn Pacquiao. So I was there. Yeah. That was um that that, that was for me. Like I, I was I was ducked back from Japan for a week and we managed to get to the uh to the fight up in Brisbane and mate, I've never been so proud to be an Australian on that day. Packed house at Suncorp, my wife, um, sister, brother in law. The ninth round when he is on the ropes and Pacquiao's just going to town on him and seriously the ref the, the, you know, he could have stopped the fight. They keep it going. He comes out and wins the next three rounds. And, mate, we were hugging strangers. I've never gone out of my way. That's to, what like, Queenslanders do, but. <laughs> yeah. But, Just mate, seriously, like, the, the, the atmosphere that day, I've never, I've never gone – I've never seen so many Filipinos. I didn't know so many Filipinos lived in Australia because Pacquiao is dead set the biggest thing in the world over there. And um, he's an eight-time – eight-division world champion. That's not eight-time, eight-division. Freakish. And um, Jeff Horn, the old, um, the bullied school teacher from Brisbane. Like, is there a bigger upset? It's right up there. It's right up there. Well, after Condo getting slammed last week, I've actually spent all this week trying to come up with a really good one. And I've gone to 94, 95, first time the Aussie cricket side win in the West Indies. Steve Waugh, Mark Waugh get 100, 200 to win the final test. Yes. That's a good one. And, and, and that's when, when, if you listen to Mark Waugh talk about it, it's quite funny because... Uh, uh, when when Kurtley's uh, Kurtley's come pushing in off the pushing in off the fence and he's got those white uh, wristbands oh. on and Steve Steve decides to have a crack at him and wind him up and Mark's facing and he just said I've never like I've never been so mad at my brother he said because Kurtley whatever he was bowling at he went up about fifteen clicks anyway the hundred and two hundred and rest is history that's mine but so if we get upsets in the in the great game of cricket. What about the Netherlands beating England? Yes. Was it Netherlands? Yeah, that what? was phenomenal. That's great. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I've and, got a, and the fact that they beat Well, England. we know you'd pick that because you are a resident Pommy. Was. 
was? Yeah, past tense, Stephen. Okay. Past tense. I like that. I'm, past I'm, tense. I'm, um, past I'm, tense. I'm, I'm Lennox through and through. Past tense, that's a great way to wrap up. Thanks, Wisey. All right. Really thank engaging you. chat. Thank you very much. Cheers, boys. Yeah, Wisey.